Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. And we are finishing up this chapter this morning with verses 16 through 23. And we finished last week with the two verses that told us Christ has canceled our debt and he's disarmed the rulers and authorities, victoriously triumphing over them. And then he says in verse 16, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but now listen to this, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. As we picked up this week in verses 16 through 17, and we're talking about releasing everything but Christ. <laughs> we have Christ, so we need Christ plus nothing. And all of these things in the Old Testament that pointed to Christ have now been fulfilled in and through him. The festivals, the Sabbaths, the tabernacle itself, all of it, they were shadows of what was to come. They were pictures pointing true the, to the reality of Jesus Christ. N.T. Wright said, Christians are members of the age to come for which Israel had been waiting. But when the perfect is come, the partial is abolished, 1 Corinthians 13.10. Or as he puts it here, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The Old Covenant observances pointed to a future reality that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an explanation from the English Standard Study Bible. Hence, Christians are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant. You've got a string of references there. Christians are no longer obligated to observe Old Testament dietary laws. That's the food and drink we just read about. Or festivals, holidays, and special days. A festival, new moon, Sabbath. For what these things foreshadowed has been fulfilled in Christ. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and let's turn to the right to the book of Hebrews. And I want us to look briefly at some passages of Scripture in Hebrews 9 and 10. Hebrews is a beautiful commentary of the Old Testament. And it shows us how Christ is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament pointed toward. Go to chapter 9 and let's pick up in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. So what is he talking about? He didn't enter the tabernacle that Moses had erected or the temple that Solomon and they had built or the one that was rebuilt when the Israelites went back after the Babylonian captivity, the one that Herod had beautified and was ultimately destroyed in 70 AD. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus entered into the tabernacle not made with human hands. He entered into the very throne room of God with his own blood, 
to put on the mercy seat of the universe. So that's what he's talking about here in verse 11. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Drop down to verse 22. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Obviously, he's referring to the day of atonement. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now drop down to chapter 10 in verse 1. For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come. So he, we've got Judaizers here at the church in Colossae trying to impose the Jewish law and religious um, festivals and everything that they had, had to live under in the Old Testament. They're trying to make them live under that now as believers. But what does it say here? For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifice which, which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he, Christ, comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One offering offered once for all time. You are sanctified eternally. Past tense, it's done. It's not something you have to achieve. It's not something you can work for. You can't struggle, grit your teeth, be harsh to your body, and earn it. It's already accomplished for us in Christ Jesus, and now we need to appropriate what rightfully belongs to us because we are in Christ. So the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the feast were all a shadow or a picture of Christ. 
And now that Christ has come, the law has been fulfilled, and we have seen the manifestation of God among us. In the Old Testament, people could not approach the Lord without a sacrifice. And even on the Day of Atonement, the high priest had to prepare for seven days. He had to fast. He had to wash himself. He had to wear exactly what the Lord had prescribed for him to wear. had a turban on his head with a, a gold plate across the front that said he was sanctified, set apart, holy unto the Lord. And he could only approach the holy of holies one day a year prescribed by God and go in to offer the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the mercy seat to cover their sins for another year. And he could only do it if he did exactly the way God told him to. And why was this? Because the holiness of God dwelt in the holy of holies. And God's holiness would destroy anything that came into his presence that was sinful and not covered by blood. So the priest had to offer a sacrifice for himself to prepare, and then he had to offer a sacrifice for the people of which he took the blood into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle it on the mercy seat. This past Sunday in our high school department, we are now reading through Exodus. We did Genesis um, last month. This month we're working through Exodus, and we were talking about the calling of Moses and the burning bush. And if you remember that, Moses was out near Mount Sinai, Mount Hebron, another name for Mount Sinai, where he would later bring the people and receive the law from God. This is where he's out taking care of sheep, and he suddenly sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And as he approaches it, the voice of God comes to him, and what does he say to him? Take off your shoes. Because the ground on where you're standing is holy. Why was it holy? Because the manifest presence of God had come down in that bush, and God was speaking to him from that bush. We see Aaron's two sons who offer strange fire, and the holiness of God comes out, and they're dead. We see other times, like the sin of Achan in the camp, how God dealt seriously with sin in the camp when they disobeyed him because God's presence was in their midst, and he was going with them as he was conquering the people for them to give them the land that he had promised them. So we see over and over again how God's presence is holy. It's seen on Mount Sinai as fire and lightning and thunder, and the people are afraid to approach. Even though the sacrifices have been made, they've been sprinkled with the blood, and God told them even then, don't, don't touch the mountain. Why? Because his holiness would kill them. And I would love to be able to share with my girls this past Sunday that same holiness that could not be approached without it killing us, now lives within us through the Holy Spirit. But do you know why? It's because of this once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because he went into the tabernacle not made with human hands, and because he put his blood on the mercy seat, the throne of our King, he placed his blood there covering forever our sin, giving us eternal redemption. Do you see how different the new covenant is from the old? So we've been set free from the old. The old has been fulfilled. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it in living that perfect life and offering himself as that sacrifice for us. He is the propitiation for our sin, and he has made us the very righteousness of God in him. What we could not approach the very holy presence of God, without being consumed, now dwells within us without destroying us. Can we just pause a moment and marvel <laughs> at that truth? I think if we've been in the church for a long time, because the gospel can become so familiar, we don't grasp the significance 
And if we've not studied the Old Testament and understood all that the Israelites had to live under the law, all that the Levites had to do on their behalf, the number of sacrifices that were offered for their cleansing, for their forgiveness, we have no way to understand the weight of what Christ has accomplished for us by fulfilling it and moving it out of the way and bringing us into the new covenant, making us righteous before him. And we move on into verses 18 and 19, and we're not to keep defrauding ourselves and trying to have visions and be in, on the end. You know, there are always those people that make you feel like if you just had the next experience or if you just had the knowledge that they had, you would enter a new spiritual level. <laughs> it is knowing Christ and allowing your heart to so fall in love with him that he eclipses everything else. That's what life is all about. So it's Christ plus nothing. It is, once again, not us trying to prove ourselves to him or earn his love. It is accepting what he has done for us and living out of that truth. E.K. Simpson said, this self-inflation and pride in private religious experiences comes of not maintaining contact with the head. Every part of the body will function properly so long as it is under the control of the head. We know Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, the body of Christ, and we are his body as believers. We've been grafted in literally into his body. Amy Carmichael, one of uh, my heroes of the faith, was a missionary to India. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a biography about her life. It was enti it's entitled Chance to Die. It's wonderful. But I actually heard Elizabeth Elliot speak at a graduation at Beeson Divinity School many years ago. And one of the things she said was, if you do not have a copy of Amy Carmichael's little book, If... She said, run, do not walk to the nearest Christian bookstore and get one. Now, why is it so important? Because what we've got to understand is it is the love of God that sent Jesus Christ. It is the love of God that compelled Christ to go to the cross for us, to pay the debt for us so that we might have eternal redemption, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was asked, what's the most important command? What did he say? Love the Lord with all of your being, and love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the essence of what it is to know Christ and to be in Christ. We are to love as he loves. We are to be those who live in love. This little book was really birthed out of one of her workers coming to her at Donover Fellowship where they raised orphans, many of them rescued from Hindu temples who were designated for temple prostitution. And these children would be brought in and raised at Donover. One of her workers came in and said this particular child did not understand the way of love. And she said she was awake most of the night. She was thinking, Lord, is it me? Am I, am I falling short and not loving as you love and not living in that love? Lord, what is it? And out of that came these little statements, these little if statements. And she makes these statements and she says, you know, I had people say, because she'll say, if this happens, then you know nothing of Calvary love. And she said, I've had people say, that's a little extreme, is it not, that we know nothing of Calvary love? She said, but when we contemplate Calvary love, if these things are true of us, is it possible that we truly understand the depth of Calvary love? Listen to just a few of these. If I put my own happiness before the well-being of the work entrusted to me, if though I have this ministry and have received much mercy, I faint, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I'm soft to myself and slide comfortably into the vice of self-pity and self-sympathy 
And that's a cultural epidemic right now. (laughs) If I do not, by the grace of God, practice fortitude, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I myself dominate myself, if my thoughts revolve around myself, if I'm so occupied with myself, I rarely have a heart at leisure from itself, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Now, I don't know if y'all can see this, but look at how this is highlighted and written. <laughs> did you think the Lord was speaking to me through this? <laughs> and, and I did this years ago, and every time I pick it up, I'm convicted. If the moment I'm conscious of the shadow of self crossing my threshold, I do not shut the door, and in the power of him who works in us to will and to do and to keep that door shut, then I know nothing of Calvary love. And I wrote here on the side, the red flags of the flesh, me, mine, I, offended, hurt, left out, unnoticed, and at the bottom, all caps, flesh, two exclamation points. How do we know we're slipping back into the flesh and not walking into the spirit? Because we are spirit, soul, and body. And because we are spiritually dead until we come to Christ, we know naturally how to live from the outside in. And our flesh controls us, which is why so many even believers are controlled by their feelings. Now, we don't deny feelings. God's given us feelings. We need to discern why we feel a certain way about things, why this makes me angry or why I'm sad about this. But we don't let feelings drive our life. The Word of God is what gives us wisdom and direction for life, not our feelings. And feelings can hijack our lives because they scream at us. That's what the flesh does. It screams at us. I remember one time I had been praying about something. I was frustrated about something, and I really overreacted with Steve about something. And it was like this neon sign dropped in front of my head going, flesh, 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 flesh. And I mean, mid-sentence, I slammed my fist on the counter and went, I just failed a test. (laughs) It was a test to say, are you going to trust me or are you going to give into your flesh and try to control it yourself? Try to make it work the way you think it's supposed to work. And I so often want to do that because I am a firstborn, hard-headed, strong-willed individual. And I think I know how things are supposed to work. And it is hard for me to surrender sometimes to the Lord and say, Lord, not what I want. What did Jesus say in Gethsemane? Lord, not my will, but yours be done. On a daily basis, we must do this. And if we see self rising up, did you see how many times in these little statements you hear, I, myself, myself? Yes. When we start focusing on self, self is a really small package. We turn in on ourselves when we're only thinking about ourselves. But when we look up and out, we are enlarged. Enlarged to love others. Enlarged to move out of our comfort zone and minister in the name of Jesus. To embrace others. To pull others in. Why? Because we have been so loved that we cannot help but love others. That is what Christ is calling us to. When I spoke at Catalyst a couple of weekends ago, I was in the session called Hot Topics. And we dealt with some of the hot topic cultural issues. But anytime you're talking to women or to girls, you're going to deal with relationships and some of the issues that go along with those. And I made a statement to the girls in one of the hot topic sessions that I told my girls quite often. And when you're focusing on yourself and you find yourself getting all caught up into drama and thinking about how you feel about this particular thing, 
I said, a good rule of thumb is, if it won't matter in eternity, should it matter now? But I didn't set quite that nicely to my girls. And two of them are here today, if you want to ask. Because I would listen to the drama, and I would try to be the good mother and, you know, empathize. But at some point, I would finally, like, you know, have enough. And I would say, the entire world is dying and going to hell. And you're worried about that? <laughs> really? <laughs> Should we not ask ourselves that? Look at what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Look what's happening worldwide. Look at our culture that has absolutely lost all moral bearings. And I'm offended because somebody didn't ask me to sit with them. Because I didn't get in the group I wanted to be in. Because my friends posted something on social media and I wasn't invited. Ouch. <laughs> what are we called to? It's so much bigger and bolder and brighter and grander than all the self stuff we tend to get focused on. And we have tunnel vision. We're blinded to what's actually going on around us. We're blinded to how God is moving and working around us. And we miss getting in on what he's doing because we're so focused on ourselves and our comfort and what we want. Instead of saying, Lord, today I die. I am crucified with Jesus. Lord, I'm dying. I don't, I want to know Calvary love. Not only do I want to know it, I want to live in it. And I want to give it. I want my life to be depicted by Calvary love. Lord, would you take over and do that in my life as only you can? Because growth comes from Christ alone. We Yes, doing spiritual disciplines, being in the Word of God, spending time in prayer. It renews our mind. It changes us. But it is surrendering to Him that takes over. You can do those things in the flesh and not have any eternal benefit and no real change in your life. But when you get to the point that you surrender in the morning when you open God's Word and say, God, living God, speak to me. Your Word is living. And God, I'm not opening it just to check off my list, to make me feel better about myself. I am opening your Word to meet with you. God, I need you. Our world is desperate for you. Lord, if we don't start loving each other, how is the world going to know that we belong to you? That is what he's called us to. But it takes nothing less than death to the flesh. Crucifixion's painful. Your flesh does not go willingly. Believe me, I know. But remember, it's past tense. You died with Christ. It is already accomplished. Look at verses 20 through 23, back in Colossians 2. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is if you were living in the world, you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom. Sounds right to the natural mind, right? in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. The cross-reference, one of the cross-references for that verse is Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. We cannot defeat the flesh with the flesh. The flesh is overcome by the Spirit. E.K. Simpson and F.F. F. Bruce said, the imposition of prohibitions from without can do nothing to create a new nature within. 
We have to die to the flesh so that the Spirit of God takes over, and He is the one who allows us to see as God sees. He allows us to hear the voice of God. He allows us to see where he's working and get in on when he, where he's working. And the beauty of it is when we die to our flesh and we start loving others and we start ministering to them and we start serving and we start sharing the gospel and we get in on what God is doing, there's such incredible joy and passion that you realize what you'd been missing when you weren't involved in what God's doing and you were so focused on yourself. But when you die to yourself and you're no longer able to be offended, when you choose not to be offended because Take, I mean, take 1 Corinthians 13 and use it as a checklist. Is my love patient? Is my love kind? Do I take into account a wrong suffered? If I'm offended, I'm not loving. I've got to die to offense and choose to think the best of you. Choose to let those things go and trust Christ in the midst of all of it. The outward interpretation of spiritual formation, this is from Dallas Willard, emphasizing specific acts as it does will merely increase the righteousness of the scribe and Pharisee. It will not, as we must, go beyond it to achieve genuine transformation of who I am through and through, Christ, man or woman, living richly in his kingdom. In fact, we looked at that this week. If you've got your workbook, open to page 148. The paragraph right at the top. Page 148. Rules and regulations are powerless to restrain our flesh. In fact, the more legalistic and rule-bound a person becomes, the more potent the grip of the sin nature. Did you hear that? (laughs) The more you try to do it on your own, the tighter grip that sin's going to have of you. But if a believer has died with Christ, Paul says that person has been freed from God's law. And having been released from one set of rules, we should have nothing to do with another set of religious regulations made by man. We looked up passages of scripture in Galatians, Colossians, and 2 Timothy. Galatians 2.19, we died to the law, but we're alive to God. Galatians 2.20, we're crucified with Christ, and now he lives through us. Colossians 2.12, we're buried and raised with Christ. Colossians 2.13, we're alive and forgiven in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.11, we died with him and we will live with him. So it's past tense, done, we're dead, and we're now living in Christ. And Christ is living in us. And so when I go out into my day, when I, <clears throat> when I interact with my husband, with my children, my grandchildren, my neighbors, people at church, it should be Christ flowing through me. And when that happens, I have a spirit connection with them that imparts life. I'm not sucking life out of them. I'm giving life to them. God's words should flow forth from our mouths because we are focused on him. Steve has mentioned a God box. And so I read Craig Rochelle's book as well, Winning the War of Your Mind. And I have this beautiful antique box that I just had on a shelf. It's absolutely gorgeous. It is an old antique letter box that was given to us. And I thought, you know what? This would be a beautiful God box. So I brought my God box this morning and I actually have some blank cards and a Sharpie marker, because I'm going to have a little bit of audience participation this morning. (laughs) We all have some things that we need to put in our God box, because we can get into the flesh real quick, worrying about them, instead of praying about them and giving them to the Lord. And we've talked about this in previous weeks, that Jesus is the one who said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest For my yoke is easy and my load is light. But when we look at some Christians, we would not think that his yoke was easy or his load was light because they're in a knot like the rest of the world. They're panicked. They're worried. They're living in fear. That is not what God has called us to. Just like Steve preached Sunday morning out of Isaiah 6, the King Uzziah had died 
And he was a good king. And so there was fear in the heart of the people about what was going to happen next. We can look at our world and think, Lord, what is happening? But we know this, the throne in heaven is occupied. And everything that he allows to happen is moving us closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we need to be prepared. So if we have things that are distracting us, that are causing us to be worried and anxious, we need to write them down and we need to put them in our God box. And what happens there? That means I'm rolling it over onto the Lord. I'm putting it in my God box. That means, God, I'm giving it to you. It doesn't mean that I won't pray about it other times, but it means the moment I start to be worried or anxious about it, I refuse that thought and say, no, God, I refuse to worry about it. Instead, I'm going to ask you for healing. I've got a friend whose two-year-old grandson is at Labonner Hospital, um, very, very sick. And I woke up this morning at 3.30 just with fear, praying for him. And he's going to go in my God box because I believe God is moving and going to heal his body. And I've been, that's what we've been praying for. And so he's in there. All right. What else needs to go in here? Can be a relationship. Health diagnosis. What have you got, Michelle? Right. Amen. And you know, that's the same for many ministries that are just now reopening. So we're going to put that prayer request in our God box and we're going to ask God to move miraculously and mightily on your behalf and open that door of ministry. What else needs to go in our God box? Anybody have a health diagnosis that needs to go in the God box? Okay, we've got health diagnosis. Absolutely. Can some of you at her table lay hands on her? And I want to pray for her right now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I know depression is very real. And it can feel so dark and so hopeless. We come to you right now on behalf of our sister. And we ask in Jesus' name that you will lift the depression. And not only that, Lord, that you will renew her mind. Spirit of the living God, we're asking you to move mightily on her behalf. And God, I pray that every time she has a discouraging dark thought, she will instead roll that thought over onto you. God, I pray that you'll use doctors, grant them wisdom, give them wisdom in knowing how to treat her, but God, you are the only one ultimately who can heal. So we're asking you to go beyond all that medicine can do, and we're asking for a miracle for our sister father, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm putting depression in our God box. Somebody else have something. Yes. Okay. Trauma, grief, and anxiety. We know that Jesus Christ came to bind up the brokenhearted. He is the only one who can heal. He has access to our hearts and our minds. And so we want to open them to him, but we want to put that burden into our God box because we know ultimately God is the only one who can heal. What have you got? Yeah. Uh, Died of cancer? Oh, my goodness. So death, loss... And grief. Yes. Um, 
absolutely. I mean, Steve and I look at our grandchildren and look at the world, and it's, yes, you've got to put that in your God box because you've got to trust that he is moving and working. And you know what? They need to be taught to stand against the schemes of the enemy. So we've got to be diligent to disciple them and to pour into them and make sure they know the word of God because they need to be prepared to stand in persecution, in the midst of persecution. So we put the next generation into our God box. Somebody else had, yes. Okay. Amen. Amen. For her husband, for salvation. Yes. Absolutely. The people of Ukraine and the people in Russia. For the Russian forces, that God will capture their hearts, that they'll refuse to fight, that God will intervene in the midst of this, and that the sanctions that are brought against Russia, that he will back down, that he will not turn to nuclear weapons. Yes, there's a lot to pray about there. We could, yes, ma'am, take one more. Our military, everybody serving in our military. Absolutely. And if you've got a loved one there, you know that grips your heart and it never leaves you. These are the truths. These are the things we deal with. These are the things that are part of our lives. But we're going to take them and put them in our God box because God is the only one who can actually do anything about all these things we've just mentioned. And yet we so often take them into our own hands and we try to, we worry and we fret over them and we wonder the what ifs, remember? And what do we do with the what ifs? We refute them with what is. It is written. This is what I know about God. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And when my love for Christ surpasses my love for self, sin loses its hold. Anxiety is going to lose its hold on me. My problem is not lack of restraint of the flesh, but disordered loves. Jesus must be preeminent. Amy Carmichael, there was a little prayer I wanted to close with, and then I'm going to take these prayer requests, and we're going to lift them to the Lord as we close in prayer this morning. This, listen to what Amy Carmichael prayed. My Father, as if I am the only one in your universe right now, as if you are all that matters in mine, forgive me the days I thought that meeting with you was insignificant compared with all I had to do. I come quietly to meet you, Father, needing to be loved and needing to love you. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you that, Lord, this visible symbol of a box <laughs> is nothing if we don't acknowledge that this box represents you. And we're writing down the things that concern us, the things we're grieved over, the things that we worry about, the things that distract us and discourage us. And, Father, we don't want to be distracted by anything. We want our focus to be on you. We want to be in on what you're doing. We want to be loving you with our whole being and loving others well. But we can't do that when we're so focused on ourselves. We can't do that when the circumstances in our life have us so distracted. So Lord, I want to lift these requests up to you. And Father, I know we could have gone on for hours with requests all over this room. And so I'm asking right now for every one of you women that had a request, just lift that to the Lord right now. He hears every single request. He knows every one of us intimately. 
Those of you who are watching online, speak your request right now to the Lord. He sees. He hears. He cares. And Father, we lift to you this nursing home ministry and other ministries, Father, that were closed because of COVID. We're asking you to open them up. We know how important it is for physical presence and touch. So Father, we're asking in the name of Jesus that you will open a door a a wide door of effective service for ministry, Father, across the board. Lord, we pray for every single one of our men and women serving in the military. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you put a hedge of protection around them, that you be a very present help for them in time of need. Father, they would sense your presence and know that you are their shield and their rear guard. Father, we pray for those in Ukraine. And Father, we pray especially for the believers, Lord, for those who have stayed behind to minister and to show the love of Christ. Father, to their countrymen and women. Father, we pray for the uh, for the seminary there, the Baptist seminary, that you will bless them as they are ministering to people. And Father, we pray for their president, that you will continue to give him wisdom and strength and protection and that you will, Lord Jesus, move and intervene on behalf of the Ukrainians. And God, that you will push back the Russian forces and that Putin's mind will be changed. We know ultimately, Father, his heart is like channels of water in your hand. So God, we're asking you to turn it, to turn it away from violence and death in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for this precious husband that needs to be saved. And Father, spare the living God. We're asking you to call him by name. And I'm praying, Lord, that you'll bring other Christians across his path, that you will engineer the circumstances in his life to bring him to the end of himself, that he will recognize his lostness and that he will turn to you and cry out for salvation. Lord, we pray for the next generation, all of us who have children or grandchildren. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you will capture their hearts, that you will create within them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, that they will want to know you in your word, that they will be students of your word, that they will build their lives on your word. And God, that you will raise up an army of young adults who love you with their whole being that will go out with the gospel light and change the world. Father, we pray for those who have suffered with death and grief. Father, this family who lost a son yesterday to cancer. God, the precious little boy that's in Laboner that's sick right now. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you will move on their behalf, that you will comfort families, that you will bind up the brokenhearted, that you will bring healing where healing is requested and needed. And Father, that you will do what only you can do. Father, we pray for those who have been dealing with trauma, grief, and anxiety for this precious sister Father, who lost her mother in such a tragic way, and how I pray in the name of Jesus that you will comfort her, and God, that you will heal her of PTSD. God, that you will begin to come in, bind up her heart, and that those anxious thoughts, those thoughts that bring such grief and pain, will begin to be healed. And God, you will help her to focus on all the good and the positive of her relationship with her mom and of the sweet memories that she has. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for eternity. We thank you for the assurance of being with you forever and with our loved ones who know you. Father, for those who are struggling with a health diagnosis and with depression, Spirit of the living God, I know depression has skyrocketed in recent days, and I'm asking that you will do what only you can do, Father, that you will lift the heaviness, that you will break through the darkness, and that the light of the gospel and the power of your Spirit would bring hope and healing. Lord, we close the top on this box. And we lift all of these requests up to you. And Lord, we declare that from this moment forward, we will not get anxious and uptight. But when these things come back to our mind, instead, we will thank you. We will overflow with gratitude that you are here to be our very present help 
in time of need, that we can cling to you, that we can rest in you, that we can come alongside you because you come alongside us, because you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, and we have the power of your Spirit living within our physical bodies. Let us die to our flesh that your Spirit might take over and do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could begin to ask or imagine. Father, minister your grace and healing right now over this room. Lord, may we walk in love from this moment forward. Lord, help us. Help us to love you with our whole being. Help us to see you as you are. And then, Lord, so fill us and loose your love within us that we will love each other. Regardless of our shortcomings, regardless where we fail each other, that we will frame each other in the best light and we will love regardless. We all need people in our life like that, Father, who allow us to get close enough to really know us and they love us anyway with that persistent, never-ending, everlasting love of yours. So, Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you. We confess before you. We can do nothing apart from you but that we can do all things in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we are today in Christ, eternally redeemed, the very righteousness of God. May we live in it. May we walk in that reality, we pray. And may we love fervently and freely. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.